Welcome to Wood Talk, for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who like to use a lot of words, yet say nothing at all. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Oh my god, it's Wood Talk number 157 for November 18th, 2013. On today's show, we're talking about Festool MFT in place of a table saw, clamp times, purchasing a chisel set, dealing with a cup tabletop, denatured alcohol, and food safe shellac, and keeping the upper bag of a dust collector caked with dust on purpose? But before we get to all that good stuff, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash woodtalk. And by Festool, helping woodworkers get better results in less time and with less mess to clean up afterwards. Visit them online at festoolusa.com. All right, well, let's kick it off. And I should apologize for us missing a show last week. We like to be uh, consistent these days, so it really pains us when we have to miss a show. But unfortunately, life intervenes. I got a, a big load of books uh, at the house and didn't know what to do. Uh, 2,000 books arrived, and I'm like, what the heck am I going to do with this 2,000 books? I don't even like reading that much. Right? I, I, I can't even read one book, let alone 2,000 books. That's why I, I have to turn to Audible, because I have to listen to books. <laughs> the answer is so obvious. Build a fort. There you go. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah. So that actually ties into uh, what's on the bench for me. Uh, books are on the bench. I've been signing books like a crazy person, because someone came up with the brilliant idea that I would just, uh, by default, autograph all of them. So yeah, my wrist hurts now. So that's good. <laughs> it's probably like the size of like a large grapefruit, like right there in the center kind yeah. of a thing. You're it's like, like, I can't move. Yeah, like Popeye. It's just a little lower on my arm. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, yeah, so there's been a lot of that. And also the humidor is coming along nicely. And I, I had this issue where with this particular design, we're veneering one side. Hello, airplane. We're deliver, uh, veneering just one side. And as you guys probably know with veneering, you generally want to veneer both sides to keep everything in balance. But the way we're doing this is since we're using solid Spanish cedar for the, the actual outer case, it's kind of like, okay, I could veneer the inside, but the whole point of using that material in the first place is to get the benefit of using Spanish cedar. So am I just going to veneer some Spanish cedar veneer on top of the solid <laughs> Spanish cedar? That starts to get really tedious. <laughs> like, well, Maybe this is the solution. Why don't you take the Spanish cedar that you're going to use and take it over your bandsaw, slice off a piece of veneer, and then re-veneer it on there. That kind of... <laughs> Gives you the same effect. That would make me feel better. Yeah. Okay. Um, you should you have veneered the inside with royal cedar. Well, there you go. It's, it's a it's a fancier version of Spanish cedar. Well, ultimately, it's like if I'm going to do it this way, and I know a lot of people have done it. Like when you're, when you're making small projects like this desktop size humidor, you can get away with veneering one side. Now things could go wrong. I mean, that's always a possibility. But if there is a little bit of bowing, a little bit of warping, it's not as big of a deal because it's on such a small scale. Um, and you can either clamp it out or it's really not enough to worry about to begin with. So anyway, so one of the pieces I, I had veneered only on one side, uh, put on some nice Babinga veneer, and it did actually have a little bit of a cup. And this was basically like the next the next day or at that evening. And I was using a water-based glue. So the cup was, of course, in the direction you would expect it to be if you had applied moisture to one side. And as I took a look at it, I'm like, you know what, though? This cup is here, but this might go away if I just kind of leave it on the on the assembly table here, maybe put a little bit of weight on top of it and just let it cure completely. Sure enough, the next day after it was fully dry, it went back to being nice and straight. So um, I had a little, Sweet. yeah, a little tiny bit of cupping across the width, but the length of this 46 inch long piece was pretty much dead straight, dead flat from one end to the other. So nice. yeah, in spite of having veneer on one side, it turned out uh, to go really well. And even if there was a little bit of a bow, that one piece is getting cut into four pieces that make up the box sides front and back. So it wouldn't have been too big of a deal anyway, but um, so that's good news. Well, you know, I that's, that's what I really like about wood. Thing too. You know what I like is when you guys both talk at the same time. <laughs> Ready, Matt? One, two, three, go. <laughs> okay, what I like about... You know, what I was going to say is I, I really like about wood is the fact that it's so flexible and it seems to work with you. It's, it it's very conducive to uh, your needs and wants. Sometimes it does and sometimes it hates you. <laughs> it's warm and friendly. Yeah. Now, I, I just think I wonder if it comes down just to the size. You know, that... that um, 
whatever you want to call it, myth rule of thumb that you're supposed to veneer both sides. I imagine if you do like, you know, a, a chest of drawers top or a oh, yeah. dining table top, um, it could make of a bigger, dif- bigger difference with yeah. that amount of adhesive or whatever. But, you know, on a humidor size, it's just kind of silly. Yeah, no doubt about it. Big wide panel, you're going to have a problem. Um, even if it's not from the moisture, as it dries, it's going to pull back the other way. You know, so the veneer is actually shrinking a little bit. So if you don't have something to balance it on the other end or some physical restraint in terms of the way it's installed and and clamped in place, you're definitely going to have an issue there. So, uh, so that's about it. I went on to the, the quadrant hinge installation this morning and, uh, that took me a little longer than I thought because I made myself a little template, but, um, everything's coming together really nicely. So hopefully I'll actually physically be done with the project, not, not the editing and stuff, but the project itself, I'm hoping to be done before Thanksgiving, um, if I can be fast enough. So we'll see. Cool. Sweet quadrant hinge installation. That sounds like something out of some sci-fi movie. Yes, <laughs> install quadrant where, where, hinges. Where are the aliens ah. coming from? They're coming from the quadrant hinge in, hinge installation area. Oh my god! Oh my god! Look out over there. <laughs> Very good. All right, Matt. How about you? Oh well, I was just going to jump in there and say on my bench, I'm going to totally pull a Tom Cruise and jump up on my bench and start shouting from the rooftops I that I've been scraping oh. maple. And by scraping maple, I mean I've been using my scrapers, and I absolutely forgot how much I love these little tools. I know people say that all the time. But the funny thing is, this is, again, me delving into a whole brand new world of these exotic woods that I've never worked with before, such as maple. Like I worked with it one other time. In your backyard in large quantities. (laughs) (laughs) You know, people always give me that funny look when they're like, have you worked with a lot of exotics? I'm like, yeah, the other day I got some like uh, uh, hard maple. Let me tell you something. It's the craziest stuff. Exotic red oak. (laughs) From that exotic upper peninsula. (laughs) That's exactly right. So, but the the neat thing about it is, um, I don't know. So scrapers are, I think for a lot of people are still a, a, a true mystery tool when it comes down to it. It just doesn't seem like it should work. It's a piece of metal with this invisible burr thing that people keep talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was using my uh, low angle hand plane uh, on, the, on the particular piece and I was getting good results. But as I mentioned before, I'm still waiting to build my new bench because there's that nice little dip in the middle. And the nice thing is I just simply wanted to dress the surface. It doesn't matter if it's super flat or not. I just simply wanted to dress the surface to get rid of some milling marks. And that's when I grabbed the, the card scraper and just started making these amazing shavings like I've never seen on any other particular material I've used before. Hmm. So that's why today I am in awe of the scraper. So do you find that your performance with the scraper was different because you did something different with the way you tuned it? Or is it because you're not using pine or something, you know, a little bit softer? Exactly. It's because I, the material that I'm working with, yeah. uh, I've never had anything. I mean, maple is just, I've heard of these amazing properties where it just really shapes well. It takes, you know, like a router edge really nicely. It tends to really stay kind of crisp and clean when you're using sharper tools. And so, therefore, when I was using the scraper, I mean, I've I've gotten good results. I've been happy with the results I've gotten. But the ones I'm getting right now with the scraper card that I have tuned up the same exact way as I always have, um, the the results are are night and day. So it's just – it's one of those things that in the back of my mind, I'm like, there really is a difference with the type of materials that you use. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing as like when you uh, switch your – maybe your your hand plane blade, uh, the bevel angle for a specific type of material. You, you, You might not use the same one that you would use, say, for pine. Uh, with say like a mahogany or something where you, maybe you want that higher angle because of the way that the grains twist and all that good stuff. But I don't know. I, I'm totally reaching for this one. I just really liked my experience with my scraper. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't want to have to displace myself. It's awesome. <laughs> I hear that, you know, one of the cool species, like if you use bobinga as a veneer, it won't, you don't have to do it on both sides. It's magical. That. <laughs> That's why yeah, I only with bobinga. That's why I like it. Oh my gosh. Well, I can never use Bobingo because I can't actually spell it. And if I can't spell it, then it's not going to be used in, in the shop. Well, not to mention if maple is exotic, then Bobinga is like from another planet. It is. That's, yeah, that's like, you know, men are from, maple is from Mars, Bobinga's from Venus. Yeah, there you go. Yes. So <laughs> I don't know about you, but every time I hear Bobinga, I just hear David Marks in my head. Bobinga. Is that a Bobinga? And uh, Wengi as well is another one. Yeah. Always, Ooh. always Bobinga and Wengi. Right. <laughs> that's awesome. Anyways, that's, that's all I have on my, on my bench. Shannon, what do you have going on in yours? You're shopping or you're chopping, you're turning, you're teaching? Yeah, well, that's the first thing. Um, it kind of came out today. I've been um, 
been getting, I don't want to say I've been getting offers from a lot of people, but a lot of people have been saying you should think about like, I'm trying to remember the actual words, like actually teaching is what some people say. It's this whole paradigm between I've been teaching online for years, and but that's not real teaching apparently until you do it face to face. So there's been lots of people who've been saying you should come down here. I've had a couple of schools that have brought it up to me. So I finally decided, you know what, I will uh, uh, throw off the whole introverted thing that I got going on and, and try it. So I am going to be teaching down um, at uh, Worth the Effort Woodworking down in Texas and I've actually got another one coming up. Uh, well, that's in June down near Austin. And then I've got another one coming up in August in Virginia as well. So, um, and a few others that I'm looking at. So 2004 may be the year that I actually uh, get out of my cave and go <laughs> go teach some stuff. It should be fun. Um, Don't do it, Shannon. Stay in there where it's nice and safe and people can't actually reach out and smack you with the tool. <laughs> I know. That's something that's going to be really weird. What I'm worried about is I know every time I do a live session, which is as close to face-to-face teaching. Well, that's not true. I teach at the museum. But every time I'm, I'm pressed for time and there's no edit button, I cut myself like Roy Underhill. So <laughs> I'm just waiting, just waiting. I, I know that I'm going to have to bring extra Band-Aids wherever nice. I go. So but in that case, for extra of, uh, credit for the students, they, they should bring a first aid kit. And yeah, there you go. The first <laughs> one will, who, has to, who pat, patches up Shannon will get a uh, percentage off on a membership. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, actually. I may actually do that. That's funny. Um, Speaking of Mark's aching wrist, um, I had actually a little bit of a a scare this week. Um, I woke up, well, I guess it was last last Monday, a week ago. Um, I woke up like serious chest pain, like only on the left side. Oh, boy. And it was just like, oh, my God. You know, there was no numbness, the arm or any of that other stuff. But it was like, I have serious chest pain, like right over my heart to the point where I actually went to the doctor. Mm -hmm. Um. Totally fine. No heart problems. Everything was good. It was just a sore muscle, uh, which which made me feel like a total jerk. Wow. <laughs> I went to the doctor. But, you know, my, my father had quadruple bypass. My grandfather died of a heart attack. I've got a history in the family. And let's be honest, I'm not exactly in the peak shape right now. So it was it was just a little bit of a scary thing. Well, I, I for the life of me, I'm trying to think of what is the catalyst for this? What did I do to cause, you know, this, this chest pain? Um it was turning on my my, my lathe. Um, you know how when you when you do something new or you do something a little bit differently, all those little secondary stabilizing muscles that we use yeah that you don't um, even know you have yeah and you know all the turning I've done over these years um, you know I haven't spent that much time turning standing on one foot and pedaling with the other foot so when you change the balance you kind of like change all those little stabilizing muscles and I had done frankly a hell of a lot of turning on my pole lathe and my treadle lathe over the last uh, four couple about four weeks. But two weeks ago, I spent like 10 hours, three, probably 10 hour sessions at the lathe working through some projects and filming a bunch of stuff. And uh, I went into this weekend to turn and, you know, my chest was still a little bit sore, but it's feeling better. And I went and I turned for like five minutes and I was like, ow, that's where it came from. <laughs> so it. there you go. It's that, that little thing, you know, changing one little thing and changing yeah. how you balance when you stand at the lathe. It uh, it caused all kinds of problems. So so when you came home from the doctor, you found out that it wasn't your heart. Did you celebrate with like a Big Mac and or a Whopper? Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. I went, I went to Five Guys and got a big greasy burger and french fries. Downed it with a couple of... Uh, um, really, really heavy beers, and yeah, it was good. <laughs> it <laughs> turns out it's only five eighths uh, closed. I've got plenty got more room. to go. <laughs> plenty more room in there. <laughs> but but you know, it was good because I got to learn a lot about my heart. And turns out I have a really, really healthy heart and all that good stuff. So hey, that's good. There you Cholesterol's go. good. It's all great. Got to stay just, on top of your health. I'm just you know, a lady. Just get those muscles. Apparently. Yeah, if you get those muscles trained, then it's definitely going to help your heart even more. <laughs> the, 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 the moral of the story is, is I'm actually just a weakling. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, let's move into what's new. Uh, Matt, how about you grab that first one there? Okay, well, hey, uh, both Matt and Marilyn sent in this video titled The Ox Portrait of a Master Woodworker. Uh, maybe you've already seen the video. It's posted over at Marilyn's uh, website, uh, and she was saying that she's gotten some really good conversations going on over there. Uh, we Actually, it's kind of funny because just before we went on uh, air, quickly I did a little snippet here and there just to make sure I knew exactly what the videos were about. That's what I discovered. 
Oh, they both send in the same exact video. So it is available on YouTube, but the link we'll have in the show notes will take you over to Vimeo. And it's just a, it's a neat little video, uh, a nice documentary style where they are interviewing uh, the gentleman who I cannot remember his name offhand now. Uh, just one of those really amazing woodworkers who's reaching out to troubled kids and kind of talking about his own experiences and just, just an all around really, really amazing guy. But the one thing, this is so ridiculous that I pulled out of the video. He actually had as like one of those guillotine type machines where he shapes a fence picket. And I'm like, I always wondered how they did that hmm. because I couldn't imagine oh, one yeah. guy having to sit there and make those curves constantly. Yeah, that was cool. It was one swipe on each side with this like, you know, big long lever and a, a guillotine blade. It was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. It's just like, whoosh, the wood just goes flies up in the air and he holds it up and goes, yep, there you go. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a sword. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Typical Vimeo fashion too. Really kind of artsy fartsy. Um, really, really well done. Good. Can't get yes, enough very of those much videos. So. That's for sure. Um, why don't you take the rest of these? Because I actually didn't have time to watch any of these. Okay, no problem. <laughs> this next <laughs> one came in from Anthony. And as Anthony says uh, in his description of it, it's combining my three favorite things, booze, woodworking, and Star Wars. I don't Hey-o. know if it's in that particular order. Though safety concerns say the first two shouldn't happen contemporaneously. So this is a, I don't know if anybody else saw this, it's over at Gizmodo. Uh, it's a liquor cabinet. It's actually an at-at liquor cabinet for those Star Wars fans. And it is pretty darn neat. So That's awesome. I want that. I know. I saw that, and I'm like, I wish I knew somebody that could make that. Oh, wait a minute. It's I'm really, work. it's really big, and I'd be half tempted to tie string around its feet and see if it falls over. <laughs> there you go. Just to see if it's true. Uh, I want to do a uh, like a, a, a Death Star one. That would be really cool. <laughs> oh yeah. So there is right, an R two D two one, isn't there? I'm pretty sure I've seen one. Where, yeah, remember when he's have, on like, the sail harness? barge and returning the Jedi, and he's holding yeah, the drinks. I, there I is an actual R two D two. Not the Princess Leia one sitting right next to it. There you go. So anyways, all right, so this next one comes from Eric, and he says, okay, boys, check out this cool short video. This is one I think your listeners would really dig, and this is called Laser Cut Folding Furniture, and if anybody else saw this, I remember I, as soon as this one came in, I had to share it. Uh, it's a neat little art exhibit, and it looks like just kind of like maybe neat little veneer pictures up on the wall, or as some of them are kind of kind of big, maybe like four foot by three foot, and they literally kind of fold open and out and create usable furniture. Wow. So, yeah, it's cool. really, really neat. It's the kind of thing that I know I could never do. <laughs> it's slick, though. Look at that. I'm watching it right now. That's so awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, what I love is that it's like literally just like hanging on the wall like, oh, man, I don't have any room in this space over here for a table. <gasps> I'll make a painting that then folds up. What really gets me is there's like one that's an actual light. Yeah. That one's just cool as heck. Oh, that's wild. Well, cool. All right, and then one more. This came in from Kenji, and just a quick disclaimer. I don't want to ever see anybody actually doing this other than the Crazy Canadian, which right there should tell you that this one's <laughs> going to be a little bit different. And this is the Crazy Canadian sharing his version of a homemade lathe. And by homemade lathe, Shannon, this is one I don't think you have to worry about the muscles working on this. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, just get your wife to crank up the car and just go at it because he's using what the front axle of a minivan, if I remember right. <laughs> You might have to worry so, about tearing your muscles. <laughs> exactly. on that thing. Well, you know, it's pretty bad when your, your tool support is actually a uh, snowplow blade. So, <laughs> Dude, I know like the crap we occasionally take, or I should say not occasionally, it's more like every day, for just random picky things in our videos when we post them online. Can you imagine what this dude has to deal with? comment wise for putting something like that up? That's You great. think so? Or is it just like so nuts that like no one... Yeah, no one really is, is phased it's by it. It's such a parody of woodworking, yeah. even though he's actually doing woodworking. I wonder. Although, I guess. It's, it's on still YouTube. YouTube so. So <laughs> it's I, on YouTube. I could so. say something very specific and blatant in the video and still get questions about that exact thing in the video because people aren't actually <laughs> watching it. trying to apply logic to YouTube. And, uh, don't do that. All right. Silly boy. Well, very cool. Right. So uh, let's jump into our poll of the week from our buddy Tom Iovino at tomsworkbench.com. And uh, this one is timely. He asked the question, are you building holiday gifts this year? And we should mention that Tom is having his last minute elf dealy whacker from December 1st through December 7th. And if you go to his site during that week, he's going to be posting all week long uh, various projects and things that are just like quick hit kind of weekend things that you can get done and still have time and be that little last minute elf and get that stuff done in time for the holidays, which is pretty cool. So See, the, funny, the problem with that is the last minute elf ends on December 7th. How is that last minute? 
Yeah, that's like I, I'm talking like Christmas Eve, <laughs> twenty four hair dryer, trying to get that finished to dry. Well, I think the idea is he's giving you this now so that the week of like the twentieth, twenty first, you can then get this stuff done. Oh, nice! I can put it off a few weeks and then exactly. get started. Cool. Yeah, he's like, he's ahead of the game. So, all right. So the question being, are you uh, making holiday gifts this year? Forty three percent said absolutely, sure am. And then twenty six percent said I'll try, but time's getting short. That's where I'm falling in. I'd love to, but I just don't have enough time. Uh, 12% said absolutely not. 8% said building. Heck, I'm done. Of course. I hate those people. 8%, you jerks. Uh, and then 4.3% said I never thought about doing that. <laughs> so people, it's, it's never crossed their mind to make gifts for people. I use my woodworking skills for more important things. <laughs> never, never occurred to me. I love that. Well, you know, I, I had a suggestion in there. I think I mentioned this the other day on Facebook. Somebody was kind of asking a question. I said, well, my suggestion is the gift I'm going to be giving will be a gift certificate to, say, like Woodcraft or whoever else I can get the supplies to make the gift for them. So I'm going to give it to them to give to me so that I can give them the gift later on. That's very nice. Very wow. thoughtful of you. I like that. Thank you. That's- Definitely. I might even just cut out the middleman and just keep it myself. <laughs> yeah, just that makes sense. Uh, let's jump into our kickback. We got a few things here. The first one is from Matt. He says, I heard your latest testimonial on your levels of laziness. Hallelujah. In the process, Mark, you mentioned your drum sander, which made me wonder where on the continuum of tools from must have to no way in hell does a drum sander fit for the hobbyist? Love to hear your thoughts. Um, well, just my personal opinion on this. I think that a drum sander. Even for a hobbyist, it's not essential, but it kind of depends on what you want to do. If you start thinking you want to get into making your own veneer, then suddenly the drum sander kind of goes from like, oh, that'd be nice to, well, I kind of need it now to to be able to do this successfully. So I think in that case, it's, it's going to be essential. But for most other situations, a drum sander really is, it's definitely in that nice to have category. You you absolutely don't need it, but man, does it make life easier and save you quite a bit of time. Also allows you to really dial in. Like sometimes I find my planer, I could very easily overshoot a thickness. Uh, but if I really just kind of want to take my time getting there and get a perfect uh, thickness that I'm looking for for the project, I could do that at the drum sander much easier than I could do it at the uh, at the planer. So, Now, do you feel that your uh, affinity towards, I think I used that word correctly, uh, towards the drum sanders because you are a drummer? Uh, probably, you know, my drums are right behind my drum sander. So I kind of like to keep things like that together. Gotcha. There you go. (laughs) Have you ever thought about putting sandpaper on the end of your drumsticks and sanding that way? Um, I should try that now that you mention it. Yeah, That's real drum sanding. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It gives my projects that hand hammered look. I find that 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 is definitely one of those tools that uh, the the less my wife is aware of how on the scale of nice to have and necessary to have, uh, the less she's aware of it, the better off. I absolutely (laughs) must have this tool. Yeah, it's it's right in all the books, honey. They say you have to have it, otherwise you can't you can't be a woodworker. Yeah, well, and it's one like you're bringing up a good point. It's one of those things where some tools. You don't need them, but you want them so bad that you convince yourself you need them. And there are a lot of ways you could probably convince yourself you absolutely need that drum sander if you want it bad enough. So <laughs> do that with anything. I, I think it's one of those tools that falls in the, you just need to know someone who has it. That's true too. Go. Unless, I mean, cause then you can get annoying to people and be like, can I borrow your drum sander? At least, I don't know. Maybe I'm just antisocial. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's really good hey so this next one came in from bob wooden shoes which actually bob is like right in my neck of the woods he's just south of me here where uh we're in the holland area and that's wooden shoes that's his nickname dutch yeah that's his nickname i that had to be a heck of a one in high school hey wooden shoes <laughs> great <laughs> anyway so what he says uh, not so much kickback as some comments on the water freezing and care and use of dmt stones he says you could use a heating pad to keep the water from freezing. When I used to uh, lager beer in my garage in the winter, I used to keep the beer around 40 degrees Fahrenheit. I had it tied into a line voltage thermostat with a light bulb, so I, I knew it was working. And a, an aquarium heater may work as well. A few days ago, Bob said he sought your advice, or our advice on a DMT used for lapping and rough work and based on... Matt's most excellent advice. Of course, it was excellent. Of course. So he, he purchased a 10 inch coarse, extra coarse stone, and the instructions say there is a break in period 
where the stone will be somewhat rougher at first. He says his stone has not lost its, uh, <clears throat> we'll just say cherry yet, so he'll keep a watch out for this as well as take Shannon's advice to keep it clean. So we got two good ones there from Bob. And actually that whole thing about using a, uh, a heating pad or a, uh, what, an aquarium heater, I think he said in there, uh, that actually came in from two different individuals, so Bob mm-hmm. and then uh, somebody else. So I'm sorry if you, sounds like the advice you gave us, uh, Bob beat you just by my opening the email that much earlier. You know, maybe it's just me. But the slang for the word, the word that you used, to me feels say. worse than the actual word that was in the email. Yeah, I know. So, I went. Did you really just like change it from like clean to dirtier? <laughs> yeah, the clean yeah, Webster a, dictionary that's definition. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I like that. We like to intentionally go to make things even worse uh, when we try to clean things up. Nice, nicely done. Stupid <laughs> emailers. They're all clean and stuff. No, uh, classic Matt. I have to have my moments there. (laughs) Stan emailed us and he said, um, What? What? Yeah, I think he he did say that at one point. This is a, this is a, let's step back a little bit because I don't think we did a good job for folks who didn't catch the last episode. Someone had asked about putting water stones uh, in water overnight and he was in Canada and it gets really cold. So would it be a problem and and how could he keep the water from freezing? Oh, okay. So that's what all this comment starts in midstream. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's where the last, it's it's like having a conversation with a Vanderlist. Oh, like the last kickback about the aquarium heater. That's what he was referring to. And then this guy, Stan has a comment also about that so in response to waterstones freezing stan says he should either get a good small thick-walled styrofoam cooler or get some rigid insulation and make an insulated box to store them in overnight we don't get to negative 22 in connecticut but it's not uncommon to get five to ten degrees below zero when our inside shutoff valve for an outside faucet failed to seal completely i protected the outside faucet from freezing by covering it with one of those crappy little quarter inch thick wall covers and it worked Oh yeah, I don't know about you guys, but it seems like we're making a lot of effort here when he could just take the stones in the house with him. Yeah, that's I still I that's my that's my advice too. Just pick I mean, them up. They're if, kind of small. If you're building separate containers and and turning on heaters and all that stuff, just pick them up and bring them in. The house. Well, you've probably got some kind of a mud room, right? And yeah, it, I mean that's a perfect place. Put them under the bench in a mud room or or someplace out of sight, and it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, and maybe it's really not. Maybe we're the ones making a big deal of it, but. You know, I don't think it needs to be that complicated. Uh, All right. Next one is from Darren, and he is responding to comments we made previously about organizing and sort of cataloging our magazine collections and the articles in those magazines. He says, each month when I get a new wood magazine in the mail, I take a snapshot of the cover and the contents in Evernote. All the text in the pictures becomes searchable for future reference. And I suppose you could bite the bullet and do that to all the old ones that you have laying around too. Cheers, guys. Keep up the great podcast. So that's a great idea. I use Evernote. Really? And I never thought about that. So it recognizes the text in the image? Uh, Apparently. I've never done that before. But How cool is that? I use Evernote all the time for stuff. I never thought about that. Yeah, and it's a slick program, so I wouldn't wouldn't be too surprised if it does have some sort of uh, text recognition. That's great. See, that's how awesome our listeners are. They even learns us stuff. That's why we got to kickbacks. Uh, so the question is, if you like took a picture of it, say, um, you know, a, a recent popular woodworking with a Mark Spagnola article, would it actually say Mark Spagnola or would it point to Patrick instead? <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. That, <laughs> that was an inside joke. I was just going to say that's Not so really. inside. Let me tell you about my son thinking a picture was uh, was was Patrick when it was me and vice versa. <laughs> I actually That's have awesome. that problem, so yeah. I'm going to tell you I'll, and I are on the same page. I'll, so. I'll tell you about that later. Okay, let's jump into our voicemail because we got a few, and uh, you just never know who's going to call when you've got, got an open voicemail line like this, so let's take this first one. Hello, this is Deer Valley Family Practice and the office of Dr. Parker calling for Zachary. This call is to remind you. Well, good luck with your appointment, Zachary. We hope you make it. You didn't yeah, get your reminder. Us. If it's something important, put it in the kickback. We'd like to know and congratulate you or send condolences. Yes. And uh, keep in mind, it might just be because you were using the lathe. Uh, <laughs> it could be. <laughs> you just never know. All right. We do have a serious, couple of serious voicemails here. One from our buddy, Roberto. I guess he heard our, our calls and our cries last week. Oh, hey, Thank you for the title. Hey guys, how are you doing? This is Roberto. I have a question this time about speed safe hold down. I have a table saw and I don't have, um, right now I'm not using my, my safety guard on it because I'm doing some warfare without the safety guard and I don't have a riving knife and 
looking at buying these hold downs. Uh, apparently, it keeps everything up tight against the fence. Just want your opinion of these. Have you guys ever used them? Are they good? Worth the money? What do you guys think? Thanks. Okay, well, I wish I can get a little clarification from Roberto when he says hold downs because there are the roller things like the yeah, board those buddies. Yellow roller wheel things? Yep, and then there are traditional feather boards and magnetic feather boards which are holding it against the fence, which he also mentioned. Um, the board buddies, the thing is, they kind of come in at an angle, so they're not just holding it down, but they're also pushing the workpiece into the fence as well. And they work as advertised. I mean, if you can, they usually come with a little track that you have to attach to the top of your fence. And you drop them, slide them in. It's a little T-track. And they work great. And I've used them in the past, but one of mine broke. And then I just stopped using them. So I haven't gone back to them. But they can actually be great for for almost acting like another set of hands right near the blade where you generally will need it the most. Sweet. See, and I had them as well. And I found that I built like a little plywood fence that slipped over top, my Biesemeyer fence. Mm -hmm. And I actually found that because that had to happen... I ended up not using it. I always remembered to to use it after I had already made the cut. Yeah. Um, because it, it kind of, well, for the same reason people take the, the guard off their saw, it kind of got in the way a lot of times for just regular cuts, so I would take it off. Yeah. So I actually found that um, using MagSwitch featherboards, because they have the one that presses it against the fence, but it, there's an attachment that comes down on top. So yeah, it's, it's like, like a, little a little paddle. Yeah. And um, I ended up using that more than anything else because it was just so easy to reposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you can you get the added benefit of uh, being able to position it on the left side for uh, standard featherboard action at the same time. Um, right. But yeah, if, I guess it kind of depends on the kind of fence he has because the one I had, what I don't remember the setup exactly, but it was a Powermatic um, AccuFence, and the track was just attached to the top of the fence because oh, why, yeah. why not? So it was always there. There, I had one less step than you had to do, and sometimes when it comes to these safety devices, it is that one step that, like, <laughs> yeah. as silly as it is, it's that one step that could mean the difference between you using it and not using it. Well, and I would remember usually like <clears throat> either right after the cut or halfway through the cut. Well, what was I going to do? Like stop cutting? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's going to be even more dangerous. So yeah, I just I forgot it ninety percent of the time, mm. um, and I ended up only using it for sheet goods most of the time. Right. Cool. All right, we got another one here from Rich. He's got a question about some wood in a boat. Hello, this is Rich from Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, quick question: I've got an opportunity to pick up some. Mahogany. The problem is it's in an older Chris Craft boat, but it's free. So what are you guys' thoughts? Thanks. Love the show, guys. Bye. All right. So I don't know if you guys could hear that. It was a little bit quiet. Um, he's got some wood in a boat. I say just, you know, if the boards are in a boat, take them out of the boat and put them in your car and right. just go. What's I mean, the problem? What's, what's the problem? So he has to go down to the, the docks home. and take them out of the boat like they're being delivered via boat or it's an actual boat and he's going to remove them from the boat yeah. I, I guess it could just be a boat delivery i don't uh, that's what i'm wondering think, yeah i, I mean sometimes i get my by car <laughs> oh, oh 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 okay gotcha. all right so if the boat is made out of mahogany now first of all is there any chance that you don't have to take this apart like can you just have a new boat <laughs> what's wrong with what's wrong with the boat i'm thinking this is that you got a boat dude use your boat um, exactly so what do you think about this i mean i don't know too much about how those boats are constructed and how uh, how well you could recover material from it without number one damaging it uh or, or is it even in in a state that you would want it in the first place right well That's- the issue is is how was it finished mm-hmm. and if you're not if you guys know what a chris craft boat is mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. think um Indiana Jones in the last crusade when he's in Venice and he's being chased that little boat chase and yeah. it like goes into the propellers of the other boat. They're that's a, that's what he's talking about. Yeah, they're awesome. Gorgeous mahogany deck looking boats. Um, depending on how old it is and how it was put together, if there was a more of a modern Marine epoxy put down over top of it, that doesn't come off. You basically remove it with like a chisel and scrape it off. Um, Would that just kill it, like planer blades and destroy them or what? Well, it, I mean, it, it's almost not wood anymore. Um, I say this because we had a guy that put down some teak on a on a boat deck, and they had already um, epoxied it and put it all in place, and uh, discovered the owner or the the eventual owner of the boat was like, "No, I don't like that. I want this different type." Um, and uh, they literally had to take like a you know a putty knife and a hammer and just <laughs> break the stuff off. Oh, um, 
I mean, there's just, there's no reversing it at that point. Now, some of the, the older ones, it may just be marine varnished over top. So, I mean, it's going to be a hell of a lot of work no matter what you do. Um, I, you're also going to probably want to get yourself a metal detector. Um, they're probably copper nails, but you know, this is not like a stitch and glue type canoe construction, but there's going to be fasteners in there somewhere. So, you know, it, it, it would be cool, you know, yeah. to be able to say this used to be a boat. Right. Of course, I think most of the people are probably going to say, "Why did you break up the boat? <laughs> Where's your <laughs> boat, dude? Why don't you have a boat?" <laughs> but I, I would just be really curious to see, like, what am I going to have to do to strip that finish off? And if it's actually epoxy, or, or in some instances, the I think it's still epoxy, but when you fiberglass a boat, um, that stuff, I mean, it transforms it into. It's like removing concrete at that point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it really, really comes down to what you're saying is how hard do you really, really want to work for this mahogany? How much do you want that mahogany? <laughs> right. Aren't there a bunch of lakes in Minnesota? I mean, come on. <laughs> Are they like a, a thousand or a million lake? Wait, never mind. Something like that. <laughs> um, hey, real quick, we should probably mention Audible as a sponsor of the show and uh, remind you that if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash woodtalk, you can get your free audio book. And as usual, we'll mention what we're reading these days. Uh, Nicole and I, on our way to BlizzCon last week or the week before, whenever that was, we decided to listen to Delivering Happiness, A Path to Profits, Passion, and Purpose. Because once again, we like to read the self-help crap. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, so this one is by the CEO of Zappos. I don't know if you guys have heard of this before. Oh, yeah. It's the like shoe Zappos. Place. Yeah, I've heard of them. <laughs> yeah, well, this, this is the CEO. And it's kind of, uh, you know, I got to say, I didn't like it very much. I think it was just, I don't want to get too much into it. Uh, but it if didn't it, deliver the happiness? It did not deliver very much <laughs> happiness. No, it felt very lightweight, very, it wasn't like it was um, things that would be very applicable to most businesses and very specific to their situation. A lot of, I have a lot of questions now that I've listened to it that were not answered by the book. So uh, ultimately kind of thumbs down for the most part, but that's what I read. <laughs> so it's not, I'm not giving a good review, but that's what I read. Um, how about you guys? Well, uh, the most recent one that I finished up is uh, a a nice little one that I could kind of turn my brain off and just enjoy, which probably wasn't a good thing either when I was at work or driving. But I listened to Steelheart by uh, Brandon Sanderson, and essentially this is kind of a uh, comic book hero kind of a book, more or less from the description. Ten years ago, calamity came. It was a burst in the sky that gave ordinary men and women extraordinary powers. More or less, superheroes are actually bad guys, <laughs> and real human beings have to figure out how to defeat them. So it's kind of an interesting twist. On your typical superhero kind of book, but it was it was a fun read. All out, well, somebody else read you know, it, but it was it was kind of fun. I enjoyed it, and uh, I'm hoping it's going to be coming out with another one pretty soon because it was that enjoyable. I was just going to ask you: Do you guys like reading like book one when you know it's a three part series, especially when it comes to like classic you know books like this that take a long time for these authors to to poop out. Um, I do not like reading book one, knowing that book two isn't even out yet. And book three is probably like a decade away. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally. funny you say that. Totally. Yeah, I, yeah, same. I, I actually, that was part of my really deciding whether I wanted to listen to this or not was how long do I actually have to wait? Mm. So, mm, I'm yeah. Up. And, and there's, there's been several times when I've held off and then thought, okay, it's safe now, and I've still gotten through it before the author crapped out the last one or the next one, <laughs> yeah. and I'm so pissed. <laughs> Drives me nuts. Like, I hate that. Well, yeah. and the worst part is, the worst was um, Stephen King's Dark Tower series. Oh, yeah. Because it was like 10 or 15 years. Yeah, it's like a pet a gap project. in there. And I'd forgotten everything. So I guess in one respect, it was cool, because I went back, and actually that time, they didn't have audiobooks yeah. <laughs> when it first came out. I went back and listened to the whole series again, because I just had no idea what happened. But yeah. <laughs> nice. That's cool, Matt. I've been actually thinking about picking that up, because it's been advertised all over the Audible app, <laughs> saying yeah. this is new. <laughs> They're Get pushing it. it big time. But uh, I say skip it. Wait till book three is out. There you go. <laughs> well, I went um, I went retro, and... Um, Pulled something out of my uh, my library uh, from I don't know when I like the first year I was an Audible member and I listened to the classic "Have Spacesuit Will Travel" hmm. by Robert Heinlein. Nice, uh, 1958 I want to say is when it was pushed out. Classic, classic sci-fi. It's just very cool. It's kind of a Dobie Gillis meets sci-fi. Um, cool book. Nice. Sounds good. All right, let's move on to our uh, email. Almost said O mail, but it's actually email. Oh, oh, oh my! Oh, we got mail. Oh, mail. That's oh. what I always say when I open my inbox. Oh, mail. 
Oh. Okay. So uh, I always get someone named Matt on my questions. What's up with that? <laughs> and I always get somebody named Timbot, but I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> okay, so I got a question here from Matt. He says, I was cruising the Festool site the other day, and it seems that a hobby is... dangerous. Yeah, that is a, that is a problem. Well, the good thing is you can't buy it right on the site. you got to go somewhere else to buy it. So it uh, seems that a hobbyist could use the Festool system and never need uh, to own a table saw. It looks like you could do all your bevels, rips, cross cuts with the Festool saw and likely do a reasonable job of dados and rabbits with a Festool router. I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on the pros and cons of going the track saw route versus the table saw route. Uh, this is something that comes up quite a bit because, you know, if you're in a small space and you got a decent budget, you might consider something like this. It's completely collapsible. You could pull it out, move the cars out of the garage and uh, or put, that, put this stuff in your driveway. And if it's a nice day out, work outside. So it's tempting. For me personally, though, I still feel like it's lacking. And the area that it's lacking mostly is in joinery. Uh, if you have a domino, well, then you've probably got your, your tenon work covered. For me, I still like to use a lot of traditional tenon joinery in my work. So um, I'm really reliant on having the dado stack in place and using a, you know either a, a, a sled or um, just a miter gauge or something to make tenons. And, and that's a huge thing for me that I would be missing. The other thing is if you're maybe making thin strips, you need to cut uh, some nice thin rips that would be great on a table saw, but become very difficult on even an MFT if the piece is long. Uh, If the workpiece itself is very narrow, you tend to have a lot more trouble working with it on something like the MFT. So for me, my general rule of thumb is if you're going to do a lot of solid wood and, uh, and, and you like to get into different types of joinery, you still are probably going to want that table saw. But if you're really working with a lot of sheet goods and everything is like flat stock of consistent thickness, then you probably could get away with just going with that Festool only setup. Um, But for me personally, got to have my table saw. I concur. Absolutely. The same exact, I I feel the same exact way. I'm not even going to try and justify it anymore. Okay. All right, how about you uh, take Timbot's question? Okay, well, uh, since I always get stuck with Timbot's, mm-hmm. uh, he says, my question concerns how long you should leave clamps on a glue-up. I use Type Bond 2 and 3 primarily, and I know both say clamp the joint for 30 minutes and not to stress the joint for 24 hours. Personally, I've always waited at least six hours, if not longer. Now, that's Timbot's personally, not my own. And I sure would like to take those clamps off earlier. How long should you realistically wait for these glues to dry? I live in SoCal, and it usually hovers around 70 year-round with fairly high humidity. Uh, be quite honest with you, in my shop here in uh, southwest Michigan, um, I think I keep them on for like uh, – well, I usually do the thing where I clamp it and then I wait till the next day to do it. But if I really want to start working with it, I found that I can typically in most situations take the clamps off after only about maybe – two hours if that mm. and i can start working with it now i don't stress those joints uh but at the same time i can usually start to start at least milling them doing a little dimensioning or something but if i really 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 in my own personal experience want to make sure that those glue joints are set up 100 percent um i usually wait that like six to eight hours before i do anything which usually means the very next day i come back in cool yeah, you know, for me in Arizona, it's kind of a different thing. I can definitely do a half hour and, <laughs> and be fine with it just because it's so dry and typically very warm. Um, you know what I would suggest he do is is do a few samples for his own peace of mind. Like put a mm-hmm. couple pieces together, let them clamp together for about an hour, take them apart, and see how hard it is to break them. Um, and, you know, just get a hammer, put one in a vise, put uh, have the other piece hanging off and smack it with a hammer and look at what happens. Uh, if that thing is splitting apart the wood, that means that, you know, even if the glue is not completely cured, it's holding on tight. It's doing the work of the clamps and you can take the clamps off. Um, right. You know, so that might be something just as an exercise to make yourself feel a little bit better about what is the ideal time for you to take them out. I think especially in, in Southern California, six hours, I don't think you need nearly that long. I think two hours max, even, you know, on, on your average. I was going to say, day. I never thought of Southern California as being humid. Now, there's humidity was, there. I mean, not ex- yeah, not yeah. really excessive, but you're right, you know, especially if he's in a San Diego area or L.A., he's, he's near the ocean, so... Right. Right. Well, you know, another thing I was thinking of is oftentimes uh, it may also depend on the, the type of joinery. Like how stressed is that joint? If yeah. this is just simply, say, gluing up 
some wider panels or something. Uh, yeah, I have no problem taking off really early and just going going to town on it or something. But if it's if it's a joint where there's like stress in one direction or another, that's when I really am more conscious about not so much leaving the clamps in place, but it, for sure giving it that ample amount of time to uh, mm-hmm. take care of itself. Now, Mark, I still have these images of when you start squeezing the bottle, it just turns to dust like yes. the second it starts pouring out. Is that usually what happens? It's like dry droplets by the time it hits the, the wood. <laughs> right. Plunk, plunk. You've got, to, you've got to bring the bottle real close to the wood or it yeah. evaporates in between. Yeah, you need like you one know, of those the, humidifiers going right alongside of you the whole time to keep it totally moist. Yeah, totally. The thing about this whole, I mean, I think it comes down to, you know, clamp for 30 minutes but not stress for 24. Well, that's that's all well and good, but... I know that if I take it out of the clamps, I'm going to have a tendency to want to do other things to it or yes. like forget, you know, forget that I just took it out of the clamps. Um, and, and that's when trouble I think would ensue. I would much rather leave it in the clamps uh, much, much longer and then be able to take it out and go right to work on it. Yeah. So I don't know. That's why I generally like save glue ups until the end of the day and just go to sleep. Well, I'm glad you say that because I I do something very similar to me getting it into the clamps. That's like, all right, I'm done. This is my opportunity to go just chillax or something Mm -hmm, and then come back later on. Yeah. I kind of do the same thing. So ultimately I think mentally we tend to work that way to, to (laughs) save your glue ups for a stopping point anyway. I mean, I suppose if you only have two clamps, you know, you've got three panels to glue up. I can understand that. But, uh, you know, that's the, you know, there the solution is buy more clamps. Of course. There's nothing money can't solve. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. You're up, Shannon. Well, let's see. Uh, Randall Mack emailed and said, <clears throat> I just finished chopping out hard maple waste between pins on half-blind dovetails. My chisels required sharpening twice on two drawers. I'm tired of cheap Chinese chisels. And he puts uh, Wood River in You should say, Wood River. Like that. <laughs> If you were to be in a position to buy another set of bench chisels that you intended to be your main users and hopefully the last set, not counting maybe some odd sizes, pairing mortise chisels, et cetera, what would you buy and why? I was leaning towards less frequent sharpening or as this says, sharpening. Um, <laughs> I, I was tempted to, to not put this in the show notes because it's another one of those what would you buy type things and it's just <clears> – <throat> excuse me ends up being so much personal opinion. But the reason I wanted to bring this up is um, Wood River chisels, I mean, they're modern produced chisels. Um, and if I remember correctly, these are the chisels, what what Chuck Bender calls his school chisels. They're the ones that he has kicking around the shop that anybody can use in his school. They're not bad chisels. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're made in China, but modern metallurgy still produces a pretty dang good steel, you know, even if you're, you know, made in China. Um, so the, the issue that he's having, I don't think is a matter of necessarily cheap chisels. It's chopping hard maple. Mm -hmm, I mean, hard maple is what it is. You know, there's reason hard is the name. The other name for it is rock maple. Um, take the hint. (laughs) It's hard to chop out. And my first, my first inclination was to say, spend less time chopping and more time sawing, but you know, he's making half blind dovetails. There's really not a lot of ways to get around that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some cool techniques. Um, guys, I know that he use card scrapers. You know, you saw it out and you take a card scraper and drop it in the kerf and whack it in. So all it, what it does is sever the fibers down to the base so that you're, you're doing a lot less chopping. There are other things to do so that you're not doing quite so much chopping. Um, I know that doesn't really answer his question, um, but I'm hesitant to say, you know, I would go buy Lee Nielsen. I would buy, you know, a, um, a two because it's much, much harder and, and one and all that, because I don't think there's much wrong with the wood river chisels. I've used them. Um, last time I was at the Acanthus workshop, they're fine. You know, I mean, they have some other issues. I don't like the handles as much, but the steel itself is, there's nothing terribly wrong there. Now, if you're going with the, you know, much less frequent sharpening, then, you know, I don't think we can overlook the new Veritas steel, the powdered metal stuff. Uh, the PMV11 um, stuff? Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to say the acronym because I always get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's the uh, P243-7941. <laughs> right, the, the PM2000, that. Um, so I, you know, I, I've heard great things about them. I personally have not used them. I'm a been using Lee Nielsen chisels for five years. I absolutely love them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't necessarily love them because the steel is awesome. I love them for different reasons. Um, I love blue spruce chisels. Um, but, you know, these are all really, really hard steel. I, I just think the problem that he's having is not so much cheap steel. 
It's just the wood that he's using. Well, if what he says is is accurate, what he's telling us is he's having to sharpen twice on two drawers. Even in hard maple, that sounds excessive to me. That like I don't know, maybe it's a sharpening issue. You know, yeah. like he's not actually. Can we, can we change the bevel angle? Like if if we went to like a higher bevel angle, would mm-hmm. that potentially give it up just a little bit longer life? I mean, obviously, again, emphasizing the fact that it's hard maple, you still are gonna have to you know resharpen more than you would say with pine. Or something right. like that. Well, I mean, but, that that's true. We're talking about, as he says, a general use set of chisels. So yeah. you're probably in the 30 to 35 degree bevel angle there. And if these are at 25, uh, which is highly possible, I don't know what they come factory ground as, um, That that's highly possible. Um, right. You know, th- there's I would, I would urge him to look at some ways to do less chopping when it comes to half-blind dovetails. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could. I need to find that link. I don't know who it did. Who did it? Might have been William Ng. <laughs> I don't know who it did. <laughs> who did? <laughs> the idea is once you've sawn, you take that card scraper and you stick it in the curve and you hammer it down to the base of the joint. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know when you when you cut half blind dovetails, you have to cut them at that angle because you can't get in there um, down in the bottom there. Well, that card scraper will sever those fibers all the way to that bottom corner. So now all you're really doing is a light chop on the baseline and then splitting out from the ingrain. And it's so much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hard maple, chopping hard maple in general is not fun. Um, yeah, so- I mean, you know, a quick technique that I, I did one, uh, on this recent one, and I don't think I showed this in any of my, my videos, is uh, uh, making several kerf cuts through that waste area. Or even, you know, the other big one is yeah. coming in with, say, a, a coping saw. Because the nice thing with just doing the, those kerf cuts, not using a coping saw, just using the kerf cuts in between in that waste area is it really kind of just, I don't, I don't want to say weakens the material, but essentially that's what it kind of does. It makes it easier for it to break away so that you're not chopping as hard. And it just really, well, it feels like it went faster. Yeah, but remember in half blinds, you can't use a coping saw. Oh, there's that blue. Oh, I mean, the tails, that. you could. Sure. I mean, that was my first inclination, too. And then I was like, oh, half blinds, damn it. All these <laughs> details. But yeah, that that's absolutely true. Um, you know, I never used to use the coping saw that much. Um, and I was never taught to do it that way. And then I just started doing it. And oh, my God, it's so much easier. Mm. You know, I don't even use a mallet anymore. It just pairs it away. So I know we're, we're kind of not answering the question. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm so hesitant to blame the Wood River chisels because I'm sure somebody's going to kick this back and say, hey, they're terrible and they're awful. And I Lucy, probably don't know what I'm Randall, can about. you can you kick back to us? What's the bevel angle on this? I'm just really curious if it could be something where maybe increasing it might help out. But, have, um, um, yeah, I was just looking that up and I can't see where it says. I don't see it either. Yeah, but you know what? They've got Babinga handles. How bad could they be? Oh, in that case, they're perfect. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on to uh, Alan's question here. He says, I'm making a new tabletop for a dining room. Pictures attached. That won't help you guys. The panel is roughly 47 by 70, and I rough sanded it to 120 grit a couple weekends ago, both sides. Made the mistake of not stickering it when I left it, and coming back to fine sand it today, I see that it's cupped about an eighth of an inch to about three sixteenths or so across the width. I immediately flipped it over when stickering it, hoping that it would even itself out. Uh, A, do you think it will? I'm curious if by now he can tell us whether it did or not. Uh, B, do I now have a ton of curly maple for future work as this piece is now toast? And C, will I have to recut all the planks back to individual pieces again to start over? Thoughts on how to salvage this glue up. All right, well, this is, I picked this one because the whole bowing and wood movement thing is fresh on my mind because of this veneering experiment, you know, do, doing one side and seeing how much cup you get. And then when you do, how much cup really is a problem, what's not a problem. In this case, when he's talking about uh, one, I mean, three sixteenths, fine. One eighth, two, three sixteenths, that's a big range. So if it was an eighth, I'd be much more likely to say I wouldn't even worry about it. 316 starts to get a little bit more that it would bug me. But the bottom line is you're going to be putting this tabletop onto a base. And in all likelihood, that base is going to have some sort of way of of pulling that top down nice and tight. 
you would want to do that anyway, even if it was dead flat, because this thing may not always be dead flat over the course of its life. So I would imagine, you know, over the, the span of 42 inches, that you should very easily be able to, like, I'm, I'm holding up air quotes here, clamp out that that bow that you have there uh, just by securing it to the structure. I w- definitely would not say it's a do-over at this point, but uh, if possible, see if you can't secure it to the base and, and pull that bow out. You may, if you've got time to screw around with it, if you really want to get it flat for the duration that you're working with it, um, you might take the the cupped side and spray a little bit of water on there and maybe put a wet towel on it uh, overnight and see if you can't reverse the bow. Um, you might even just take some some spray and, and put calls on it and just kind of reverse clamp it. Maybe put like a, a paint stirrer or something in the middle and clamp the other ends down. You can kind of reverse it. Just uh, It may go back to the way it is, uh, to, to the original cup, but this could get you just something that's flat enough to work with for the duration of the project and also to get it secured to the base. And then hopefully it's it's cupping evenly, and the table shouldn't be too dramatically affected if uh, if that top decides it wants to move. Maybe it just won't be able to because the base is holding it down. Um, nice. Yeah, there you go. You know, you know I, 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 you, there's always a breadboard in. You know, that's depending true. on how far it overhangs the base. Yeah. Well, the problem you know, with the breadboard in a dining end, room table, if it overhangs like you know twelve to eighteen inches, mm-hmm. you may be able to flatten it out where it's attached to the apron, but it might develop a cup on the end. In that case, design in a breadboard. In well, here. I was just going to say the design is the problem. I think with breadboards is sometimes you either want them or you don't. So even right. if they're you know a fix, uh, but you know, actually, you bring up a good point though. There's no reason he can't add just like cleats to the underside. Uh, within the apron space, add some cleats, make sure you allow for movement and uh, use those to help pull that thing down flat and keep it flat. The main thing of to get a panel that big to not warp is to use good quality plywood. (laughs) Right. Let's be real. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, any solid wood that 42 by 70, it's going to warp. Yeah. I don't care what you do. Which is why the one eighth figure uh, to me was like, okay, good. That's not too bad. <laughs> you know, ultimately. Uh, well, you right. know, just as a, a follow-up, actually, we, I did talk with no, Alan a little bit about Matt this. Again. What's that? I just want to talk over Matt's yes, more. Please keep no, doing that because to me, uh, there can't be anything better for the audience is to, to hear you guys talking over each other. Oh, it's a good time had by all. <laughs> Anyways, what I wanted to say was uh, that uh, I, I talked with Alan about this. And like you mentioned, uh, Mark, that the whole thing about maybe the cleats or something, adding some battens on the bottom or something. I had mentioned that to him and he said that was actually something he was going to consider doing and was thinking, you know, that actually would be the easiest. He also was talking about how he was going to do the breadboard ends. Um, and the big thing was actually this table base. It's the base that they have is just this like rock cast iron kind of a thing. It was a very decorative table with a piece of glass on it. And he was just making this particular top kind of as a uh, stopgap until he actually makes them a whole new uh, table. So I had asked him if he was going to have aprons and stuff. But it sounds like he was pretty satisfied with that whole batten slash cleat kind of idea. So mm-hmm. cool. Yes. That's where we stand. I don't know if that helps. But it was fun to overtalk Shannon. <laughs> I remember that now. Yeah. So it was just like glass that just rested on top of a cast iron base, right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. yeah we got tough. some really nice pictures. We, we can enjoy. Everybody else just has to imagine. <laughs> right. All right. Well, hey, guess what? I have a Matt question now. This is Matt talking about Matt. And Matt says, do I need to worry about using clean strip SLX denatured alcohol when thinning down some Zinzer seal coat for food safe projects? There seems to be some hullabaloo about the methanol making the shellac unsafe. I think it's bunk and that the methanol evaporates from the finish as it cures. So, yes, be wary of the fumes, but finished product is fine. Am I I wrong? Uh, You know, when it comes down to it, I, I think... You're not wrong. To be quite honest with you, I mean the the, the denatured alcohol. I really I tried tried to do a little bit extra research on this to see if I could find anything else out there. Like, is there a really food safe type of uh, alcohol uh, that you could use? And everything just keeps pointing to using denatured alcohol. Now, one resource did talk about using a really really uh, fine alcohol that again still denatured that you could say get at a store like a Sherman Williams like a paint store a dedicated paint store talked about the uh, has to be like 180 proof would be the the best one that they would recommend but that's actually more for getting the shellac flakes if you're going to use the shellac flakes to to get those uh, nice and broken down into the shellac that you want but since you're using one that's already pre-made again 
the 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 clean strip SLX denatured alcohol. I actually used that myself. I had it in here. I started to freak out thinking I was doing something wrong, but it does it 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 what's the word I'm looking for here? It it evaporates off. Mm-hmm. So you're not right. worried about having all those chemicals and everything on there. And just like any finish, a lot of people get really angry. I know we've mentioned this before, like even like a polyurethane or well, yeah, like a polyurethane. Once it cures, short of you eating the wood, I don't think you really have any concerns about it. So I can't imagine this being a major issue when it comes to shellac being a food safe uh, finish. In fact, it is a food safe finish. Yeah, I don't think there's any issue at all. I, I mean, this is one of those things where you really need to make the decision that's right for you. Um, if you don't agree with the science, then then you have to, you know, use use uh, drinking alcohol to to make your shellac. But ultimately, I think most people will agree that alcohol does evaporate, and even if you're using methanol as or if you were using pure methanol, uh, when it evaporates, I, I think his concern is does it leave trace elements of of uh, toxic things behind? Right. To my knowledge, right. it doesn't. I feel confident in that so even if there's a small amount of methanol in my ethanol (laughs) you got methanol in my (laughs) ethanol um which is denatured alcohol i don't think it's that big of a concern it evaporates and there's ultimately nothing left on the surface at least nothing that wouldn't be washed away with the first washing um the the air force is relentless today so anyone (laughs) i'm not going to be able to edit I went to um, – I listened to Don Williams speak about this at a SAPFM event mm-hmm. and you know he's a big proponent of the whole you know might as well be 100 proof Everclear put in his, in his shellac. And he talked about how just the more, the more different stuff you have in the, um, in the solvent, the more unpredictable the way it dries, the way the shellac will actually dry. Mm-hmm. So okay. for the best quality shellac finish, you want a really, really highly refined solvent. So he's a he actually is a big fan of of um, you know really really pure stuff. But yeah. um, I think he's just you know, drinking it on the side while he's working, and that's why he likes <laughs> it. Well, it, that it, there's there's kind of varying levels of. Um, I mean, Don Williams is an amazing finisher. He does restoration work, or at least he did for the Smithsonian before he retired. And the key is is restoration work. You know, he's not wanting to screw up something that's worth several million dollars. Um, I think we're probably okay. The average, you know, amateur woodworker building our own projects that are worth, you know, the lumber that we bought to put in it. Um, I think that's probably safe to say. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. I just really, see him really walking fun. out of the liquor store with like you know a couple of uh, half gallons of Everclear, <laughs> and the 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 person's sitting there going, "Yeah, that must be code for a trash can party." They keep calling it making shellac. <laughs> I'm a woodworker. Well, you know, the the question that I have is, why is he thinning down Zenser seal coat? I mean, that's a one pound cut already, isn't yeah, it? It's, um, I th- I ooh, it was it's a, two pound, I believe. Yeah, but still, well, it's thin enough for for most for most uses. Uh, yeah, usage. I use that stuff right out of the can. I mean, yeah. it's really thin. I'll have mm. to look that up. I thought it was one pound. Well, I mean, I've heard of a half pound cut being used as like a wash coat, but that always just seemed like way too much like work. Yeah. You know what? Maybe it is one pound. I don't remember. I got to look that up. Hmm. Uh, well, we still have a question left to go here, so I'll look it up while I'll, Shannon answers. I'll stuff. do that. All right. Well, this comes from Norm. He said, I've heard that keeping the upper cloth bag of a dust collector packed with fine dust actually improves the dust collector's ability to keep microfine particles from getting into the atmosphere. Is there any truth to this or is it a wives tale? And I should beat the size of the upper bag every time I empty the lower bag. I know, I know Shannon will say use hand tools. Well, I do so increasingly, but I also get a lot of sanding on my lathe and I really need to keep all those fine particles out of my lungs. What's the consensus? Well, I picked this specifically because he said that I would say use hand tools (laughs) and um, hand tools do produce dust, my friend. Uh, Bring a pair of white gloves into my shop and you will be horrified (laughs) at just the (laughs) sheer volume of dust. Now, the the beauty of hand tools is is we make bigger dust. We don't really make, you know, micron-sized particles. Well, I shouldn't say we don't. It it happens. It absolutely happens, but I can usually get by with an air cleaner. The problem with, yes, the the upper dust-caked bag will prevent the fine particles from getting in the atmosphere, but it also prevents air from getting into the atmosphere, and that will kill your suction dramatically um the suddenly the cfm drops to two and you're not having a lot of luck because the upper bag is specifically there to vent all the air that the vacuum is sucking in Mm -hmm. and if there's no place for that air to go you're creating back pressure which is cutting back that suction so um 
and and you know what? I bet you dust is going to find its way into the air anyway. Um, the more you push it, um, the more the more pressure that's building up inside of there, uh, the more it's going to push air out. So the the truth of the matter is, yes, you probably should beat the sides of that bag and try to keep it as clean as you can so that you can keep your CFM up. Because um, if you can't keep the CFM up, the air, the dust just going straight into the air anyway, and that's worse. You want to try to collect it at the source, and if it's suction's low, it's not going to do that. So definitely beat your bag. Wow. Awesome. You guys made fun of me about that earlier question. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the show title right there. There it is. All right, so let's move well, into our. Well, what we're well, going to well, hold on a second before we get that kickback. I did look, and the Zinzer seal coat is a two pound. Two cut. pound. Two pound. Aha! I stand corrected. All right. Well, it's still pretty dang thin. That, yeah. Well, and you you want to thin it sometimes a little bit more than that. Just you know, just to for certain projects and certain working properties, just a little spit coat. But um, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's move on to iTunes reviews. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, simply look us up in the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and you can ask Matt his thoughts on the Affordable Health Care Act. I'd rather talk about religion. <laughs> so much, a couple of our favorite topics to discuss publicly. Uh, we'd like to thank where we're going for lunch or where we're going for lunch. <laughs> I was thinking that we'd uh, head over to uh, Thanks a Latte. They had a uh, quesadilla <laughs> croissant today that looked really good. Yeah, Where We Going for Lunch says, A well-produced, light-hearted podcast about woodworking. It motivates me to get into my shop and try new things. I don't always agree with everything that's said, but I always enjoy listening. Keep up the great work. Well, you know, the thing is, the easiest way to accept the fact that you don't agree with what we say is to understand that you're wrong, and then it just gets a lot easier. That's right. I don't agree with anything I say. I mean, anything that Mark says. <laughs> exactly. All right. Seriously, though, thank you very much for that review. We uh, appreciate it and hope you keep listening in spite of Matt. Um, da dun dun. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait, that's hey, about me. Hey, turtle. Uh, remember, today's show is sponsored by Festool at FestoolUSA.com and Audible. You can get that free audiobook at audiblepodcast.com slash woodtalk. And that's the U.S. Air Force. Love this. It's also brought to you by the U.S. Air Force. Yes, they're a proud sponsor of Wood Talk. Uh, we also want to thank our recurring donor, Kenneth W. Appreciate that. If you want to set up a recurring donation or a one-time donation, you could do that at woodtalkshow.com. Look over in the left-hand column and you'll see a few links where you could do that. And we certainly appreciate that sort of support as well. And Matt, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, if you have a comment, a question, or a topic suggestion, there are several different ways you can contact us. As the U.S. Air Force right now is about ready to start doing skywriting to let us know what their question is. But you could use, say, voicemail, which you could contact us via Skype, or you could use our wood talk. <laughs> wow. Dang it. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> Work it out, Matt. Work it out. All right. So leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Those pesky Air Force guys just really messed me up with that mm-hmm. one. Uh, call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. Hey, and if you're ever looking for the show notes for the downloads for today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find them over at woodtalkshow.com. And this is what happens when we take a week off. Man, forget about it. I, my, my whole just rhythm goes right out the door. Yeah, it's Not a little bit rusty. Head, right? I'm just trying to remember an episode when, Mar- when uh, Matt actually got through the last part. So I'm. It's been a while. I think I want to blame it on the week off. I think that's just the norm. I think if you get it right, then I'm going to be scared. Shannon, don't be logical. All right. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, Spock, let us, let us make excuses. All right. <laughs> Okay, well, hopefully you'll listen again to next week's show, but uh, I think we should pinch this one off, and I guess we'll catch you next time. See you. Bye. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. 